Hi, and welcome to another episode of Occupied. This one is a little bit different. So I was invited to give a talk for the Royal College of Occupational Therapists Children, Young People and Family Services Specialist Section webinar. That's a mouthful. Uh, And I was allowed to choose whatever topic I wished to speak about. Uh, as long as it was sort of occupational science related and talked about occupation-based practice, was granted in evidence, etc. And at the time, I was sort of juggling with the concept of the art and science of occupation and where that sort of art bit actually fit and what it actually meant. So I chose to speak about that. So this is that presentation. There was an amazing discussion afterwards uh, with lots of really great questions from the, the participants. Um, that version will be available via Occupied Plus if you want to hear the discussion as well. But here is my presentation on the creativity versus science, the juxtaposition of occupational therapy. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. Hi. Uh, Yeah. My name's Brock. If you don't know me, haven't heard of me, uh, I run an occupational therapy podcast uh, called Occupied. Some of you who may have heard of me are probably from that, I would assume. Uh, I'm an occupational therapist, obviously, have uh, most of my career experience has been in mental health. And I'm now working in academia. Uh, You may excuse the way I'm looking at the moment, it's 5am and I'm running on very minimal sleep, uh, such as the life at this time of year, unfortunately. Uh, so the, the, I guess the, the topic of this, this, I don't know what you call it, presentation, I guess, came about due to me at the time sort of really having my a trouble getting my head around the concept of the art and science of OT. Uh, it was something that I think everyone in this room, every OT's heard of it. It's been thrown around for as long as I can remember even knowing what an OT is. People have talked about the art and science of an OT. Uh, but I don't know if many people sort of really sat down and thought about, well, okay, what is it in the modern day? So at the time uh, when I was looking at or when I was asked to to do this, I was like, oh, that'll be fun. Let's do that. Uh, It gave me an excuse to actually have a look into it more uh, in the process of putting this together. Uh, And this is what I found. So I've titled it The Creativity and Science of OT, and I'll sort of hopefully... This presentation will come full circle towards the end, and that part will make sense. But what I'm looking at to start with is, like I said, the art. But 
I want to go back on a bit of a history lesson of the profession. Uh, and I want to look at the art and then the science, how that sort of came into the profession. So I've put together this bit of a timeline to help explain where everything fits. So we'll start all the way back in 35,000 BC when Homo sapiens invented art. Weird place to start, but I think it's important. It's been around forever, species-wise. We, as a profession, have a lot of our, I guess, original paradigms, roots within the arts and crafts movement. Should be no surprise to anyone. I'm sure everyone's heard of that. The arts and crafts movement running from sort of around the 1880s uh, into the 1910s, 1920s. The Originally, one of the, the I guess, key figures, Ruskin, um, promoted it as a, a way of people getting back to a simpler life. Uh, and his theory was that getting back to that simpler life of doing arts and crafts made people happy and being happy made people healthy. So the whole sort of arts and crafts movement was almost a rebellion against uh, industrial revolution, really. So it was against sort of machinery and that sort of stuff taking over and making life easier. Uh, it was very much around arts and crafts and growing your own vegetables and <clears throat> uh, stuff that people are still... Uh, I guess seen as rebelling against today uh, in today's society because we do have a lot of things. I mean, we're all over the world right now and we're sitting here looking at a computer screen listening to me talk. That's that's made life a lot easier. Um, but there are definitely people that still are looking for that more grounded, that authentic life Um might live off the grid, that kind of thing. But that was the whole purpose of the arts and crafts movement. And that developed and picked up steam across America fairly quickly. So in the by the 1900s, there was about 25 sort of for more formal arts and crafts societies. Uh, they were kind of, uh, I guess, like clubs, arts and crafts clubs uh, across the States. Uh, in the midst of that, we had sort of medicine that was gaining traction, mainly because it was starting to really sink the science into uh, what they had been doing for however many years beforehand. They, in amongst the that... There are some physicians who have realized that, okay, we're, we're pumping all this science into the profession. However, we've now seen that that's not fixing every ailment that's coming up. They've sort of recognized that there's something missing from healthcare. There's something missing from medicine. And this is sort of where the, the very sort of initial ideas of our profession has come from. The part that they've decided was missing was found through this arts and crafts. So it was, I'm not going to go through all of these, don't stress. Uh, 
the engagement in arts and crafts in a lot of instances through psychiatric hospitals was seen to uh, keep the bo- the mind bo- the mind busy, the body busy, uh, and was seen to have positive health outcomes for people in well back then they were asylums. Out of Maya, there's a lot of names throughout this that everyone will have known. Out of Maya um, was one of the initial people to sort of, I guess, more formalize that process, started developing programs around it. Um, Sydney Tracy wrote a book about it, how to engage people using arts and crafts. And the the early books, I mean, that was the, the little picture there, commonly known as sort of the first OT textbook per se, uh, was predominantly uh, like an instruction guide on arts and crafts. So how to actually do different arts and crafts. It was more teaching, back then it wasn't OTs, but teaching people the arts and crafts that they could then go and engage with people in these asylums. We move along. 1914, the term occupational therapies coined. We keep moving along. We see the emergence of similar OT type things in the UK. We see very similar around the same time OT type things emerge in Canada. Uh, it really finds its feet during World War One, where this link between arts and crafts, creative activities uh, and well-being is starting to really gain some traction. We all know, you know, uh, injured soldiers, the the main, I guess, aspect of what we now know as OT during that time was very diversional, uh, and the arts and crafts activities that were being uh, somewhat prescribed but offered uh, in these sort of injured soldiers' hospitals were essentially, and it's been written, I think, in out of Mo- a couple of out of Myers papers, that they were different stages. One was to essentially keep them occupied while they were sitting still in bed. Um, one was getting them back to being ready to be discharged, and one was uh, a more activities that were looking at engaging them back into the community. For the most part, all the same activities, but they were just implementing them at different stages uh, of people's recovery. We see throughout this time, Kiel Hoffner's coined that from about the 1900s to about 1940 as this paradigm of occupation where the profession was just emerging, it was starting to find its feet, and it was very much about engaging people in what we now know as occupation. At the time, it was pretty much all arts and crafts. The whole profession, it had been birthed from this arts and crafts movement and was starting to find its feet applying arts and crafts to different populations, i.e. soldiers, etc. 
by the time we hit that sort of 1940s part, which just happens to be when Australia decided to catch up uh, and start occupational therapy as well, or start occupational training occupational therapists, the profession hit a, a crisis point. It was getting a lot of pressure from the medical profession, which by that stage had sort of 40, 50, 60 years of this new science under its belt. And there was a big push for occupational therapy to, uh, in their eyes, legitimize itself by including science as part of what they do. That, again, probably similar to what some OTs are experiencing now. It was hard to justify doing arts and crafts with soldiers uh, in a medical field. And if we wanted to be accepted as a, a health profession at the time, we were called a, I believe it was a semi-profession. We weren't even classed as a, a full profession. Uh, we needed to do something. We needed to become more like the, the, the physicians. We needed to add science to, to what we were doing. World War II rolled around. We had a similar input as World War One in that we were deemed sort of very valuable. But what we found through that period and through that crisis period was the profession kind of morphed more away from arts and crafts. We started taking on a lot of the medical science. We started looking at the body as more of a, a mechanism, as a series of um, functional systems as opposed to uh, we hadn't really looked at the body at all um, as a, a health being prior to that. And that was due to the push uh, from the medical profession. So we kind of adopted their science as our underpinning knowledge base. Through that period, we discovered or we, or we took on things like orthopedics, that's uh, where a lot of your hand therapy, splinting, um, assistive tech started developing uh, for the soldiers during that period. And that period continued for quite a while. And we've you may have heard of the mechanistic paradigm where we very much started viewing humans as mechanisms. Um looking at different systems, psychiatric systems, nervous systems, musculoskeletal systems, where human beings were just a collation of all of these different parts. That's how it was viewed. And any injury, any uh, deformity, any disease that impacted one of those systems was almost conceptually taking away part of being human as a whole. So we had this idea in our head that I guess uh, our identity was impacted by our health, which we now have slightly different views on, luckily. But it was a very reductionist way of looking at the world. But we had essentially replaced arts and crafts with looking at these systems and looking at other technologies that we could implement. There would have been some small pockets, I think, around the world where the arts and crafts stuff continues, um, mainly for the diversional purposes. 
but the scientific backed therapy purposes were, were mainly looking at this stuff, which was, I guess, a growth point. Uh, I know a lot of people sort of talk negatively about these periods before we sort of have brought ourselves back towards occupation. But I, I look at it more as a growth point for the profession. We wouldn't be where we are now without these uh, points, even though we can look back on them now and go, oh, that's a bit bit of an odd way of thinking about things. We hit another crisis. We recognized that this reductionist perspective was essentially the same growth point that medicine had gone through around the 1900s where they we'd implemented this science but something was missing you know there were, we now and we even have it in our definitions that you know health isn't just the absence of illness or disease so just focusing on these systems isn't going to make someone healthy uh, something was missing from this sort of overall picture and then we moved into this content what what um, Kielhofner would have called the or did call the temporary paradigm which is where we are today, uh, well, depending on who you ask, but essentially this is where he believed we were uh, today. And this is where we had recognized that that me mechanistic paradigm wasn't working for us. We recognized something was missing, so we started looking at what, what, what it was, what was missing. There was a push from early profession leaders around that time, sort of 80s through to the early 90s, for a, a move for the profession to go back to its roots, which, as we looked at before, was that arts and crafts movement. So there was a big push through that time period to bring the arts and crafts back into the profession. We've moved away from it. We've realized that doesn't work. Let's bring that back. Let's see what we can do with this profession in this you know brand new modern time with all this modern technology and medicine. Let's see if uh, our core, our beginning paradigm is going to have an impact. You can still see the remnants of that exact period in a lot of hospitals. Um, hospitals I've worked in, hospitals you guys may have worked in, often, uh, whether it's psychiatric hospitals, physical hospitals, any OT department has arts and crafts supplies. I, in my experience in, in psychiatric hospitals, uh, it's often one of the only activities that the people on that ward are, actually have available to them. It's the only one of the only activities that's often deemed safe, quote-unquote. Uh, that is a hangover from this time period where occupational therapy was trying to get back to its roots. But there was a few, uh, thankfully, very intelligent, big-picture thinkers, and I, I still can't get my head around how you even conceptually think to this, this breadth of the profession, but there was a few people around that realized that we were never going to, I guess, fit in with or be able to offer something that was going to fulfill the gap that we'd already identified while we were still using medical science or the medical model science as our underpinnings. We needed our own. Um, we couldn't go back to a point uh, where we first started from where we weren't backed by any science and we were essentially backed by an assumption that 
well, not an assumption, but a, an observed link that, hey, if we engage people in this arts and crafts activities, they tend to do better in hospital. Uh, we couldn't go back to that point. There's the, 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 that ship had sailed. We needed to back it with something, but we needed to back it with our own science. So the birth of occupational science in the early 90s is the attempt to support our own profession with our own knowledge uh, and fill that gap that's propping the profession up with our own science as opposed to trying to steal it from other people. And now is now. We are still technically, well, by definition, in this contemporary paradigm. We are still moving towards essentially being our own independent profession, not reliant on the science of other professions to prop us up. Now, that is a very generalized statement. I realize there are different caveats to it, being that we actually do and we are one of few professions that are actually pretty good at now pulling information, pulling research from other professional groups and integrating it into ours. And I think that comes due to our history of development, where that's essentially what we did for the first two-thirds of our profession's history. But that's a whole other story. We'll leave that one alone for now. But the main points that I, I want to get across at this point is that occupational science is growing, but it still remains very small. When we, At the point in time when we were uh, utilizing or sort of uh, absorbing, I guess, the, the medical science to underpin us, it was already a very large field. Medicine had been around for hundreds of years in some form or another. There was probably more things that they'd learnt what not to do than what to do, but that's important information as well. Occupational science as a whole, especially seeing, given our profession's size or, or very limited size, uh, means that it, it's got a very limited scope to grow. So it's only going to grow very small because there's not that many of us to actually grow it especially when we look at who within the profession or who within any profession is actually doing the research. It's also a small percentage of that. So it's still small, but it is growing. I think the very initial stages of occupational science too, when it first rolled out in the early 90s, was more trying to get evidence underneath us as to what occupation is. Uh, we are now at a stage where I believe, probably in the last five to ten years going forward, where occupational science needs to change direction a little bit and start looking at the application of or the exploration of engagement rather than just looking at, I guess, theoretical underpinnings of what the occupation actually is. What you're going to find with any of these movements is I'm very much generalizing uh, across, you know, a, a profession that spans the world, really. Um, even the points in that little timeline are taken from four different countries, and that's, you know, not representative of the 68, I think, countries that are currently registered under WAFIT um, and however many more that are working towards that. 
But this, whenever you're having these big paradigm shifts, it's not like you flick a switch and everyone in that profession changes, uh, changes direction and moves towards this new area. There's going to be people that prefer or actually like working in the, the space that they were working before. It's going to be people that have different ideas or different interpretations of where that paradigm shift is going, etc. So there still remains, in this instance, there still remains that underground push for the art. You can see through the timeline, through our development history, like it's kind of cyclic. We are in some ways repeating some of the cycles that the medical profession's done. We are repeating some of the cycles that we've done, i.e. The, the art aspect of it. So we had art, we got rid of art in replace of science. We've realized that science doesn't fill everything. Now there's a push for art. Now we're replacing it with science again. But there's still this movement within, unfortunately, I'd probably say it would be a minimal uh, number of OTs to bring the art, as in arts and crafts, back into practice. This term, the art and science of occupation, is probably at the, the forefront of why we still have this underground movement. Because I feel like some of, or some clinicians are, are interpreting that literally. Because that saying has been around, that, that phrase has been around since the very, very early uh, iterations of the profession, It's being interpreted, the art aspect of that is being interpreted very literally, as in arts and crafts. There are others, and I, I know there's going to be people that ask this question because I've talked about this before and had this question asked. There are others that will interpret the art as meaning the delivery of service, as in this is the art of actually delivering OT as opposed to art as in arts and crafts. Um, I will be keen to hear what it actually means to you. So if you feel like dropping that in the chat, um, please do, and I will get to that. Uh, I think we're, I wasn't sure how this was working, but we'll have a quick chat about that at the end if you have any questions about your interpretation of it. So yeah, that's exactly what I just explained before. So we had art, we replaced it with the science that underpinned medicine, we're trying to bring the art back. We're trying to bring the art back. We've decided to replace it with occupational science. Now we're kind of in this middle ground where we're like, some people still are interpreting and want the art. Some people are very much pushing for the science. Uh, and it's about professional identity. And I think that's a big part of why OT feels or OTs feel like we're so misunderstood is this lack of professional cohesive identity. So let's have a look at what it actually is. Let's break it down. I'm a big, uh, I'm a sucker for semantics. Uh, I have a, a massive respect for concepts like social constructionism. Um, I do believe that most of our world is constructed by the language we use with other people. So semantics to me is uh, super, super powerful. So the words we use is how we view the world. It, it says a lot about our lens. Uh, and our beliefs and our values, etc. So when we're looking at art, these are just dictionary definitions. Uh, but I've checked this across a couple of different dictionaries, and they're pretty similar. There's not too much 
um, change. So when we're looking at art, it's very much focused on like art, art, paintings, that kind of stuff. Um, some looking at the arts as in, uh, I think there's one definition in there. Yeah, study of uh, subject study of primarily concerned human creativity, social life, such as language, literature, and history. Um, if you've been to university, you will have heard of like an arts degree. That's sort of the start, the topics that are covered under that. It's a very broad um, area. Visual arts, uh, creating things, improving things, the aesthetics of things. Uh, and there's one little definition in this one that isn't in a lot of dictionaries or isn't in all dictionaries around art being like the art of conversation in that example. So looking at an actual skill. I included that one in this because, again, like I know some people will interpret it like that. And that's cool. It's just not in all the definitions. Science, it's how we explore our world. It's usually a systematic way of looking at things so that we can break them down and understand them. I'm fairly sure most people have uh, their head around the idea of what science is. There's not a huge amount of, uh, I guess, gray area, which is kind of meta when you think about the difference, the juxtaposition of art and science in general. But what I want to propose to you today is an alternative way of looking at it, and this is where my semantics come in because I feel like this may help us get our head around it. I propose that we use the concept of creativity instead of art. So instead of, like I said in the title of this, instead of the art and science of occupational therapy, it would rather be the creativity and science of occupational therapy. And I will explain why. So one of the things that occupational science has done for us is it's expanded the depth and nuance of our knowledge around occupation and occupational engagement. We have concepts like Molinau's nature of occupation. So we understand what goes into being an occupation. It's not just doing equals better health. Uh, we've got things from Kiel Hofner from back in the, I believe he originally published in the 70s, the three assumptions that the profession was based under. We are not a profession in the modern day, in a modern day health system that can function on assumptions anymore. We need scientific backing. And that's what occupational science has done for us. It's been able to highlight for us the depth of, that this profession potentially is able to reach and the unique offering that we have compared to other professions. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when I'm talking about creativity, is it the same thing? Because I know a lot of people will use them interchangeably. I've read it. I've been through a lot of literature, even putting this together, and I see people that are using it interchangeably. But they're not. They are very different. And creativity is a much broader uh, concept, I believe. And, well, the dictionary believes as well. So when we're looking at artistic ability, it includes skills, talents, to be able to create art, be able to paint, draw, sculpt. Um, it's very much skill 
uh, of creating something, creating something pleasing to the eye, creating something pleasing to the ear. Um, it's very much a lot of the definitions that I've looked at and a lot of the, re- the, the literature looks at it as um, predominantly to do with aesthetics of something, whether that's sound, noise, uh, sound, visuals, etc. Creativity, on the other hand, is around skill, talent, using your imagination, problem solving. And I think this is why it fits as a better term for us to use as OTs than art. You can be a creative artist, or a creative artist is probably a better artist, but you don't have to be an artist to be creative. I think this is all, this next bit. One of your own, the lovely Michelle Perriman and Diane Cox, in a recent paper of theirs, wrote about this this whole thing. One of the things they found was that the terms art, creativity, crafting, and creating are not clearly defined as skills for the profession and do not appear in the guidelines for practice and education. Guidelines they're looking at, or they were looking at, are your professional association's guidelines. This is where I think a lot of the the tension, um, and and it's the same in Australia. They're they're not part of any of our guidelines either with our professional uh, associations. But this is where a lot of the tension comes from, that underground movement of trying to push for arts and crafts to come back into the profession without it actually being recognised as uh, a core part of being an OT. One study uh, that they quoted and that I'd already found, I was reading it earlier, found that when they interviewed a bunch of clients, the client, uh, this is around creativity, the clients identified these different attributes, these different meanings to creativity. They talked about it being about adaption. They talked about it being innovation, change, Um, about gaining first insights, about going with the flow, about risk-taking, and the the fact that creativity breeds more creativity. None of that involved arts and crafts. But I can guarantee in that list, you will probably relate to every single one of those with the different aspects of your job. OT is a very creative profession. We need to be creative to come up with some of the interventions that we actually use. We need to be creative to adapt those interventions to specific clients. We need to be creative with the problem solving and all of that kind of stuff. We are a very creative profession. Now, the juxtaposition of that is that practitioners in the same study identified creativity as part of everyday practice, like I just said, but also that the use of arts and crafts activities in treatment encouraged patients to think creatively. So this is where I'm trying to uh, highlight that we're not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater here, but this is the juxtaposition and I guess the the cyclic issue that we're, we're coming up against as a health profession is that it's due to our history and our affiliation with arts and crafts and its use and engage, engaging people in 
an activity, whether it's diversional or therapeutic, to improve their health. It's usually the very first thing that a lot of therapists will think of when they're looking for ways to inspire creativity in a person they're working with. A lot of mental health institutions, again, like I said before, use arts and crafts still. The scientific background, which again would have been the scientific background of the medical model in the early, between the 40s and 60s, um, was essentially to inspire creativity for people to start troubleshooting themselves and start uh, working out ways that they could get better, get discharged, go home, etc. It's about trying to get people to that state, and I'm sure we can all, I'm struggling with it right now just because of the time of day, getting people to that point where they can think and troubleshoot and be creative and come up with solutions to things that they might not normally have been able to or they might have not been in the right mindset to be able to, etc. Creativity is a super powerful headspace for a human being. And it's often, depending on the literature you're looking at, it's often looked at as one of those sort of essential needs um, once you've sort of fulfilled the, the, the old Maslow's. I've talked about it with regards to my own personal stuff. Those of you who have listened to the podcast uh, have probably heard me talk about it before around how creativity and its uh, impact it's had on my personal journey with depression. Um, I often view creativity in any form or space as almost the complete opposite of depression. That is what, for me and for other people that I've spoken to, is the thing, the very powerful headspace that actually eases it, gets rid of it, and helps me function. The To sort of wrap all that up and in a, in a little bow, one of the things that I want to look at or want to, want to sort of drill home to you guys is, yes, the arts and crafts movement kick-started this profession, which is kind of meta that uh, arts and crafts not only uh, on their own were helping the people that they were being implemented with, but also developed a profession that looks at engaging people in doing things to improve their health. The science at the moment, so looking at occupational science, backs the impact of creativity on motivation and engagement. We want people to be creative thinkers. That's their people that go on to be sustainably out of health services to come up with uh, productive solutions to their problems, etc. So we want to be able to foster that in the people that we work with. Due to our history, the arts and crafts is a known activity to stimulate that creativity, but it's not the only way. And I think that's the important, I guess, message going forward is a lot of the arts and crafts uh, activities that are still running 
in a lot of hospital wards and a lot of clinics and that kind of stuff are doing that because it's always been there. And that's the reason. We're doing it because it's always been that way. We now know due to occup- with, with, because of occupational science that there's meaning uh, associated with occupations that we need to, as therapists, take into account. We now look at occupations on a deeper level uh, to the level that we're looking at values someone's values we've taken a, a large chunk of sort of psychological interventions and psychological assessments into our profession to expand our knowledge of why people do the things they do arts and crafts very much still have a place in the profession but i think they need to be more selective with regards to when they're used they're not just a blanket tool like they were right at the very start or at the very sort of birth of the profession They were a blanket tool. That was the profession, was arts and crafts. And arts and crafts therapy was one of the potential names that we nearly ended up with. So uh, there's no argument really that it was such a big part of our, I guess, origin story, if you want to use a superhero term. Um, But nowadays with our knowledge, with our expanded knowledge, there's still place. A lot of people look at the art and the science as sort of opposing forces but they can coexist but they need to coexist intelligently and with uh, purpose i'm curious now to answer any questions to have more of a discussion it's i'm not coming at as a uh i guess from an expert point of view and i'm right and no one else could be right i'm very curious as to uh, your perceptions, your ideas around this, and I, if I can find the right button, I'll put my video back on. Uh, yeah, I would love to hear what you think, what you have to say. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.